Well, we together, as a church, are in the Gospel of John, and our series is called Following Jesus Together. Last time, we began John chapter 6, this long 71-verse passage, and the subtitle is, I am the bread of life. This is the famous chapter in which Jesus utters those words, and this morning is part two. Lord willing, next time we will be in part three as we take a second lap. There's so many details in this passage. And so this morning, part two, our attention is confined to verses 35 to 71. Well, in John chapter 6, if you would join me in verse 35, I'm going to read a handful of verses to set God's word before us. I'm going to pray and then we'll look to God together in prayer. John 6, beginning in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer together. Father, you sent your son, Jesus, because he is the bread of life, the bread of heaven who has come down to give us life. And I ask this morning that by your spirit, you would give each and every one of us a soul hunger for the sun. For my friends here who don't yet know you, Jesus, that you would put them in appetite for you. For my friends here, Lord, who are followers of you, but perhaps are feasting on the things of this world, that you would put them out of taste of the things of the world to feast on you, Jesus. And for all of us, Lord, that we would feast on you and be satisfied. But God, we can't do that on our own. We need you, Jesus, as you tell us in this chapter. We need your spirit to accomplish these things in us. So Lord, all we can say is that we are yours. Save us. We are yours. Feed us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, all of God's people said, amen. Why do you follow Jesus? Maybe you've grown up in the church. Uh, maybe you've been a Christian for some time. And it's a question that we become numb to or dull to, or maybe it's a question that we don't really consider. Uh, we assume the answer to that. John chapter 6 is a unique chapter in which Jesus explains to us in a number of ways why we follow him or why we don't follow him. And as we look at our text this morning, Jesus is making an appeal to us in every sense of the word of why he is the most appealing one to follow. Uh, with that, let's look at the outline of our message this morning. It comes to us in three parts. If you're taking notes, here they are. Now, you may have noticed we're jumping right into a conversation. 
We, we began it last time together. In fact, there's eight conversational cycles where the crowds of disciples will say something to Jesus. Jesus responds. So that's a conversational cycle. There's eight of them. We're jumping in in the fourth one, but here they are. Number one, verses 34 to 40, we're going to see the appeal of Christ. Number two, we'll move then into the appall of the multitudes. And that's verses 41 to 59. And then we will close with verses 60 to 71 with the feasting of faith. The appeal of Christ, the appall of the multitudes, and the feasting of faith. Why do we believe? Well, let's, let's look at the point number one, the appeal of Christ. Look again with me, please, at verse 34. They said to him, this is the crowds, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and that you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, the Gospel of John is famous for its seven I am statements. I'd encourage you, if you have time this week, to go back online and listen to the first sermon in this series where we take a, a high-level, whole Bible perspective on the meaning and significance of the I am statements. But here in our passage, we encounter some of the most loved descriptions of Jesus by Jesus. I am the bread of life. It's reiterated seven times in this text. Now, as I mentioned, we are mid-dialogue between Jesus and the crowd of disciples. You may recall last time that Jesus, the previous day, had miraculously fed 5,000 men, so easily 15,000 more of them, They'd crossed the sea, the crowds followed, they found Jesus, and they entered into a conversation on this morning regarding the food from yesterday. So look back with me at verse 25, and let's pick up the context. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God has set his seal. Well, then they said to him, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe. 
that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. In a very similar fashion to Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, where he promised the water of life, and, and she said, Sir, give me this water. Now the crowds are asking, Sir, give us this bread always. In this conversation and interchange between Jesus and the disciples, it brings a question and a tension. And this tension is this. Do these disciples, Sir, give us this bread always, they ask, but the tension is, do these disciples want the bread that Jesus gives on Jesus' terms? Now, if you're with us last time, you know that they are seeking a Savior who makes no demands on their lives. They're wanting a prophet who will lead them into glory, but not require any repentance of them. And so we know here this tension, do the disciples want the bread that Jesus gives on Jesus' terms? And as we saw last time together, it's not just about them as disciples, it's about you and me. The ultimate question of the text for us this morning is this, do you want the bread that Jesus gives? And... Do you want the bread that Jesus gives on Jesus' terms, or do you want the bread that Jesus gives on your own terms, as if that was even possible? And it's not. Now, consider Jesus' appeal to us. He says in these most exquisite, familiar words, I am the bread of life. Jesus is using a metaphor, he's using a figure of speech to explain a spiritual reality about himself to change your soul. Jesus is seeking to incite hunger in your inner being for him, almost magnetically, so that you might follow him. We are utterly dependent creatures. Now, we live in a day and age of technological and industrial advancement where we tried to inoculate ourselves from that truth that we are actually utterly dependent. Every breath and heartbeat, every, every pulsing of the arteries is a dependent on Jesus Christ. We are not self-existing like God is. We are not self-sufficient as God is. We are dependent we need food, we need water, and without them we perish. And so God has embedded in the created order of this fallen world a growling stomach and a parched throat to be physical emblems that are meant to teach us of our unceasing physical and spiritual need that only God in Christ can satisfy it's not very often that our stomachs growl. 
in the West at least. It's not very often that we experience parched thirst. And yet these physiological responses to our dependency on things outside of us to give us nutrition to live, Jesus is appealing to us that he alone can satisfy our base needs. And the crowds, the crowds looked to Jesus and they asked for the bread that gives life to the world. They want that life. They want life. Do you want life? And Jesus' reply in effect is this. You want the bread of life? I am that bread. And there is no other. You see, Jesus is appealing to our core need for food as a pointer to your core need for Christ and Christ alone. In the magnificence of his gospel, his life in our place, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the grave for our justification, his ascension into heaven, his session, his seating at the right hand of the Father, his outpouring of his spirit upon us, that that is the base ongoing eternal need that we have. Do you know it? And are you hungry for it? Does that sound satisfying to you? Jesus is appealing. It's like what he says in Matthew 5.4 when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That text, like ours at hand this morning, asks the questions of us. Do you have a soul hunger to be right with God on God's terms? Or are you busy about trying to make yourself right with God on your terms as if that were even possible? And friend, it's not. It's not. Do you have a heart that thirsts to have your sin and shame washed away by the blood of Christ? If you do, then Jesus says to you in our text this morning, feast and drink of me. Every reference in our passage in John 6 about eating and drinking and, and its various synonyms are all spoken in a, um, in a way that shows a present, ongoing, and never-ending feasting and drinking. So it's not a one-stop shop. It's not a one-time meal that you have that forever satisfies. But it's a meal that's so satisfying, that is Christ, that we never stop feasting and drinking of him. But Jesus is also making an appeal to you and to myself and to all who have ears to hear. Jesus is appealing to us about how appealing he is. Each of us, every one of us, is always shopping around for soul satisfaction. Always. We are looking for soul satisfaction. We're looking for tips and techniques for guilt riddance that nags and gnaws at our soul. We're looking for shame eradication that haunts us, things in our past, things in our present, things that we may know, know we might know that we'll do in the future. And everything that this world tries to sell us, we shop in its 
corridor of vanities, seeking to satisfy our souls, to numb our souls, to remove that guilt, to satisfy and to eradicate the shame. And we always, whatever we buy that the world sells, always, will always leave you hungry and thirsty for more. Undoubtedly, there can be seasons where what the world seems to offer can give tips and techniques to make your marriage a little bit better and your parenting a little bit more satisfactory, your kids a little bit more obedient with better attitudes, if that were even possible. Maybe our relationships are broken, the status that you have in life, the security, the leisure. We are looking for what the world supplies, and here stands Christ. Jesus himself, God in Christ, is declaring to us, he's making that appeal about how appealing he is, that Jesus alone is our sole satisfaction always because of his gospel. Jesus, because of his cross work for us, as our sin bearer alone can remove the guilt that we bear and he takes from us. And Jesus alone is this shame eraser because his blood stains over the stains of our sins. Jesus, please don't forget, is the one who moves towards us in our sin shame, and suffering. God's gospel is for the sick. God's gospel is for the needy. God's gospel is for the poor in spirit, the poor in heart, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Friend, is that you this morning? Just as Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In similar fashion, it's not rest this morning that Jesus offers. It's feasting. It's feasting. It's feasting. And it gets better in our text. As if feasting on Christ and in eternal feasting of satisfaction and the goodness of God himself, there's even more. It's not the end of the story. Look at verse 39, please. Jesus continues, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me. You know, this is for next week, but how secure are you in Christ? Just on those words. Unshakably, unbreakably secure. Because in those words, where does your security lie and depend? Upon you and how good your faith is? This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. If you are in Christ, you will not be lost because Christ holds you. But that's next week. So Jesus continues, I will not, uh, but, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, believing in one moment and not stopping that believing, and believes in Jesus should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So, how nutritious is the bread of life? 
The bread of life is so nutritious that it not only imparts to us eternal life, but it's a nutrition in which Christ himself will bring life out of death. He will resurrect us, give us glorified bodies unto world without end. That's what happens when you feast on Jesus. So, so how are you supposed to respond to this? How do you expect the crowds to respond to this? If you've been with us up to this point, you know how they're going to respond. Look at point number two, the appall of the multitudes. Now here it's a long section. We're going to take two conversational cycles, verses 41 to 59. The appall of the multitudes, look at verse 41. Listen to their response to the invitation of Jesus. So the Jews grumbled. The Jews grumbled about him because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52, then the Jews, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, verse 57. And I live because of the Father. So whoever, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So what's the response of the crowds? Unbelief. And how do we audibly hear their unbelief? It is grumbling. It's grumbling. So the answer then is this. No, no. 
Even though they said, sir, give us this bread always, the answer is no, they do not want Jesus on Jesus' terms because they don't believe. They don't want Jesus as he truly is. They want a Jesus of their own making. They want a Jesus in their own image. And so they grumble. Israel grumbled in the wilderness against God and Moses, despising the bread that came down from heaven, the manna that sustained them and fed them for 40 years. And here, Jesus. Jesus, the voice from the, the burning bush, the great I am with flesh on, looking into the very eyes that he made, and they refuse to see Jesus because they cannot see and they will not see. These people are following their stomachs. They were fed yesterday, according to the text, miraculously. They had the loaves and the fish, but they're not following Jesus. They're following Jesus for what Jesus can give. They want the benefits but they don't care about the benefactor. And Jesus calls them out on it. He rebukes them way back in verse 26 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Their God is their stomach, and they only want fish sandwiches. That's what they want. They want to follow Jesus for what Jesus gives, but they're not following Jesus for Jesus himself. Verse 52, then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. <clears throat> you see, to their ears, their ears of unbelief that only hear fleshly realities, worldly realities, not spiritual realities, to their ears, they hear these words of Jesus and think that it's some horrible, contradictory form of cannibalism that breaks the Mosaic law. They're supposed to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, and yet somehow Jesus is going to keep living and then raise people from the dead? What does that even mean, they wonder? And so they grumble among themselves. But think about what Jesus has already taught us in John 3. Remember John 3? No one can see, let alone enter, the kingdom of God unless he is first born again. And then he, if we look down at verse 63, Jesus reaffirms that same spiritual truth. Look at verse 63. This, it's a linchpin text in the entire passage of John 6. Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the crowds don't believe because they don't want to believe. And the crowds don't believe because they can't believe. 
more on that next week. And here Jesus peels back the curtain to explain why. It's because his words are spirit, and the spirit gives life, and the people don't have the spirit. You see, Jesus' words here to us and his appeal to you in this moment, I am the bread of life. And we, along with the crowd, say to him, sir, give us this bread always, then begs that question to you and me, are we the feasters on Christ? Do we keep eating? (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus' words are gospel truths that the Spirit uses to cause us to be born again. Old Spurgeon said in the year 1900 in a sermon this statement. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Those words melt. Oh, those words harden. Verse 53, so Jesus said to the disciples, the crowds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those words melt or those words harden. And those words are doing that right now in this room, in this place, to each of us. You see, Jesus says hard things that are either for us a rock of salvation or a rock of stumbling and offense. And it's not just these words, eat my flesh and drink my blood, But it's all of Jesus' words. It's what Jesus says about gender and creation. It's what Jesus says about sexuality and marriage and family and parenting. It's what Jesus says about our speech. It's what Jesus says about generosity and truth-telling. It's about Jesus calling out sin, the eternality of hell, guilt, calling each and every one of us, all people everywhere, to repent in even how salvation works, all of it is either a rock of salvation or a rock of stumbling and offense. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And that is what we see t- taking place in these multitudes. The day before, the little boy comes with the, the fish and the loaves, the small amount, and multiplies it, feeding 15,000. They see the sign, but they don't see the sign. Now, the disciples, they did see Jesus walking on the water when he came to them. You may recall from last time. But they followed Christ. 
but they're not following Christ. Friends, right now in this moment, God's Spirit is speaking to each one of us from His Word. Are the words of Jesus, are there words of Jesus that you are ashamed of? Are there things that you wish weren't in the Bible? Are there eternal truths that are not quite to your liking? Now, it's one thing to wrestle with hard doctrines. None of us has a perfect theology. We'll have that when we get to heaven. It's one thing to wrestle with hard doctrines as we each work out our sanctification in Christ. We're all in the process of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are hard truths to believe. Hell is a hard doctrine, but it is a good doctrine, but is nonetheless perplexing that we must wrestle with. But here, it's an entirely different thing to hear the truth, dislike it, and reject it like the crowds did. Because to reject the truth is to reject God himself, Jesus Christ. And so the crowds reject, reject Jesus. So then the question still stands before you. Do you want Jesus on the terms that he gives eat his flesh and drink his blood? Does that give you life and say, yes, Lord, save me? How do we respond to Jesus' teaching? And this is the final point, number three, the feasting of faith. Look with me at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and the crowds, and then the text says, disciples, 
could not handle the hard saying of Jesus. It did not taste good to them. They took a drink and they spit his words out. But Jesus even makes another appeal to them. Uh, you can almost picture it, that, that they're grumbling and they're murmuring. And, and so they're turning their backs on Christ and they're beginning to walk away from, from Jesus. And as they're murmuring and as their backs are to Christ, it's when Jesus says in verse, 60, verse 62, But what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And the implicit answer, even for these disciples who are abandoning Jesus, is that even if they saw Jesus rise from the grave and physically ascend into heaven, they still would not believe. But remember, the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. <coughs> Excuse me. You see, Jesus has been clear. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood, those words that they stumble on is not a physically literal statement. They are a metaphor for ongoing faith in Jesus and Jesus' teaching and who Jesus says he is. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. See those words, comes and believes. These are parallel ideas. To come to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. It's faith. Or, or look down at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, now look at verse 54, an almost exact repetition of that verse. Here in verse 54, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So verse 40, if you look and believe, Jesus will raise you up on the last day. And in verse 54, if you feed and drink on Jesus, he will raise you up on the last day. Again, parallel ideas. So he's been clear that it's always been faith, but the crowds don't have faith and therefore they cannot see or hear or understand. Jesus is not saying anything new to the multitudes. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in him who he has sent. So the disciples stumble and trip on the rock of Jesus' words. Why? Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me, but you do not believe. The people despised God's provision of man in the wilderness during the Exodus. Now the people despise God's provision of the bread of life for the second Exodus because they don't have faith. But Jesus has a personal question for you this morning, for all of us, for those who claim Christ, and maybe those of you who are considering Christ. And it's his question of verse 67 to the disciples, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away 
as well. To broaden the scope of this idea, we know that Scripture, for example, think of Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines, He brings difficulty, pain, trial, suffering into the lives of His children to refine our faith. So it's not just what Jesus teaches here about this perplexing idea of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but you broaden it out to your relationship with God that, that, that do you want to go away as well? Is, is God turning up difficulty and trial in your life, uncertainty in your life? Are you wrestling through what the scriptures say to such a degree that you're thinking about maybe, maybe God isn't? Or maybe he is just an awful God, because how could he do this to me? You see, you see, what Jesus, his words here apply to, they hang as a banner over all of our life. Do you want to go away as well? And, and undergirding this question, as everything is previous to it, is the appeal of how good God is and the promise that he will never leave us, never forsake us, will not let us go, that he is our sustenance and source of life, that he is to be thought of as bread of life, delicious, nutritious, never-ending, that he is worthy of feasting on. That's how good God is. Not bad, but good. Trustworthy, not untrustworthy. Faithful, and the one who feeds and satisfies our souls. You see, remember the crowds, we saw this last time, they followed Jesus because what Jesus could give. It's almost as if they were false converts. And they wanted a Jesus, though, in their own image. Sure, give us this bread always. Okay, I am that bread. No thanks. Do you want a Jesus in your own image? Or do you want and hunger for a Jesus who makes you into his do you want a Savior who saves and makes life-giving demands upon you to take up your cross daily and follow Him? Or, put it differently, is the idea of heaven without Jesus still heaven for you? Because it's not. Where Christ is, heaven is. He is what makes heaven heaven, our triune God. And so the question still lingers in the air to Jesus, to you and to I, and to all of us who hear, do you want to go away as well? Do you hear these words of the exclusivity of Christ, that the only way that you can be made right with God, the only way that you can have eternal life, the only way that you can be sure that God holds you and have eternal life is that Jesus is God in the flesh who has come to live and die in your place, Scripture gives you the answer that we should believe and confess from Peter himself in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, do you agree with Peter? Do you find soul satisfaction in the bread of life? 
like I said at the beginning, we, even as believers, are prone to be seduced by the things of the world, to satisfy our souls on the things of the world, and not Christ. And there are the fleeting pleasures of sin. But here Jesus speaks to us by his spirit in his word to remind us that Jesus is alone our lasting soul satisfaction. That when we have the joy of repentance and turning from sin, of reconciling with one another, that that is water for our souls because Christ is satisfying us with his ways. Is a crucified Savior who provides salvation by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is that your joy and motivation for life? Or does that sound like nonsense? Does the exclusivity of Christ provoke your soul to raise your hands in worship? Or do you want to find a different way to get into heaven? Friends, there isn't. Do you want the bread of eternal life that Jesus gives on Jesus' terms? Or are you going to leave here and shop elsewhere? Friends, Jesus' words to, to you today are food for your soul. So the question is, will you feast on faith in Christ? Amen? Lord, as I prayed at the beginning, we believe, help our unbelief. Oh, Lord, thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the satisfaction, not just now, but for eternal satisfaction. The promised Jesus of feasting on you is eternal life, resurrection for the grave, and joy without end in your presence forever. And so, Lord, we ask that you would save any friends in this place, give them eyes to see and ears to hear, and for those of us who may have been put out of appetite of you this last week, Lord Jesus, put us back into appetite to satisfy our souls with you. Father, we pray this in your son's name. Amen.